Welcome to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. We're picking up today's episode after the finale of a two-part series on taxes. If you haven't already listened to those episodes, make sure to check them out. I'm your host of today's podcast, Chris Pilger, Director of Member Communications and Recruitment at CPA Alberta. And with me today is Todd Scaletta, FCPA, FCMA. Todd is the Senior Vice President of Research and Foresight at CPA Alberta, and today we will be discussing learning from failure, the five drivers of change, and the future of business. Did you hear that head office is implementing new diversity and inclusion? Women 10% of C-suite positions at Canada's 100 companies need to be more socially responsible. Big data represents a potential windfall of $30 billion for Canada. Canada needs to do a comprehensive review of its taxes. 70% of Albertans say the economy is too dependent on oil and gas. Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Great to see you, Todd, and thanks for agreeing to be part of this podcast. I think we're going to have a a really fun chat here today. When our last guest, Stephen Bergstrom, was on the podcast, he posed the question, what mistake has taught you the most? So, Todd, what would you say is the mistake that has taught you the most? Great to be here, Chris. Uh, Actually, if it's okay, I wouldn't mind doing two things. Uh, One would be a bit of a, a reframe of the question from a mistake to really a, a life lesson and and how um, life can can change and 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 uh, make you think about things in a different way and what you learn from resiliency. So maybe that is a mistake, but maybe it's more along the lines of of how you've been able to um, change and grow as a result. And if you don't mind, I've made uh, lots of mistakes over my career. So if we can maybe even defer, that question uh, near the end of the podcast, uh, that'll give me a bit of time to be thinking about and reflecting on some of those mistakes and and what might be a good one to uh, share with the audience. I think we can certainly do both those things. And I think you're right that uh, sometimes those lessons are contextual. So to get a better sense of uh, your career and where you're at and how those things impacted you probably makes a, a ton of sense. So Todd, why don't uh, you talk a little bit then about your background? You have a, a unique background in the profession and and talk to us a little bit about your path and uh, how you got to where you are today. Happy to do that, Chris. And, and I'll have to start off that I have been extremely fortunate and very grateful for the career that I have had. Um, I worked in industry. So after graduating with my professional accounting designation, I did work in industry for about uh, 10 years. Uh, various ones. Uh, I worked in uh, construction, in real estate, uh, in financial services, in education. And then in 1994, I actually uh, joined and worked for the accounting profession, for the professional accounting bodies. And over my career, I have spent uh, at uh, provincial as well as national bodies. And uh, it's been it's been fantastic. So i um, been involved in uh, a lot of great projects. I also was involved um, in um, a lot of international travel. I served uh, the profession on many international committees, which brought me to uh, the U.S., to Europe, as well as Australia on occasions. Uh, I had the uh, privilege of meeting uh, Prince Charles in his uh, home, (laughs) which was St. James Palace uh, in London, as well as had some meetings in Buckingham Palace. And uh, one other... um, project that I worked on was the Drivers of Change, and that was a, a national project that I worked on, really looking 
out towards the future. And I've had uh, the privilege of working on many projects over my time with the profession that were all future-looking. I worked on one called uh, World of Work 2010, another one called 2020 Vision, and uh, the Drivers of Change, which led to the Foresight Project, which is looking out to the year 2030 and beyond. So it is interesting reflecting back on some of those projects and, and where we got some things right and maybe where we got some things a little bit off. So uh, so how do all of those experience tie into your current role at CPA Alberta and, and kind of tell us a little bit more about what you're currently doing with CPA Alberta? Yeah, um, with CPA Alberta and the role of um, foresight and research, it's it's you think about organizations, and, and all organizations face what I'll call two tensions. And one of those tensions is the tension of managing for today, taking care of things that need to be done today in order to run the day-to-day operations of your organization, yet needing to still build for tomorrow and keeping an eye on the future. The second tension uh, that organizations face is this idea of uh, really valuing their internal resources and competencies, yet being open to exploring external. And so if I was to kind of look at my job, where my job is really is trying to build for tomorrow and really looking at the external market. And so it's trying to serve as that one quadrant of building for tomorrow and um, understanding what's happening in the world. And you do that through partly uh, tying back to CPA Canada, the national office, as far as the work on foresight goes, as well as the work that they're doing in the research area. So I'm that link pin between those two and helping to, to I guess, move away from uh, what's sometimes called the tyranny of the inbox, like just managing for today, which can really consume you. You need to be able to step away from that. And, and CPA Alberta, in my role, has kind of allowed me to, to look out and explore the future. So you've mentioned uh, the CPA Canada Foresight Project uh, a few times now. Can you just tell us a little bit at a high level about Foresight and and what it is and what the goals of that project are? Sure. Um, Foresight itself uh, is just a technique to uh, look out to the future, not to try to predict the future, but rather think about plausible futures. And the way you do that is you, you go through a process, and part of that process is to think about some of the critical certainties. And so a critical certainty would be something that you know is obviously critically important, uh, but you have a, uh, a feel that that will continue on in the future. So some critical certainties that you can well imagine would be uh, demographics and, and so forth, where you can see the future and you see where things are trending. But the real secret sauce with foresight is the critical uncertainties. What do you know that's going to be really important in the future, but we don't know which way it's going to go? And when you have those, they can help shape what could be plausible futures. Again, not trying to predict the future, but trying to think about some plausible futures on where the world may evolve to. And having that information helps to uh, shape your strategic plans. Foresight is not a strategic plan, but rather an enabler for your strategic plan to really think about, okay, if this seems to be going in this direction, what do we need to do as an organization? So trying to get ahead of the curve on that. So you talked about plausible scenarios. Can you uh, give a little 
insight as to the four. I know Foresight had four yes. plausible scenarios. Can you talk a little bit about what those four plausible scenarios that uh, were, were developed are? Absolutely. So let's just start going back to those critical uncertainties. And so one of the critical uncertainties that uh, we looked at was this idea of um, collaboration or on one end of the spectrum would be, uh, is the priority for the common good? Uh, And we're talking about this at a global basis, not accounting basis, but rather what's going on in the world. And so on one end of the spectrum, we would say um, that the high priority is common good. At the other end of the spectrum is it's more individualistic. And so where on that spectrum would we, we fall? The second critical uncertainty is this idea of um, social and technological change. Will in the future we see that to be at a high uh, rate or will it be more low and slow? And so having those two critical uncertainties, if you can imagine one running um, parallel, one running vertical, you end up with uh, the classic two-by-two matrix. And so one of the plausible futures that we look at and we've labeled slow and steady is a world where we have uh, high collaboration. Uh, so on that uh, collaboration standpoint, common good is the, uh, the, the top priority. But it's very uh, slow in its adaptation and, and adoption of, of technology. And in that world, we see global leaders really coming together Uh, working in a very collaborative manner, which is good. But with that comes this idea that it's very slow in its nature. Uh, You're trying to move as fast as the one person who's the least comfortable. So you can't really advance things as much as uh, you'd want to. The second plausible future that we talk about is one in Phoenix Rising. And in Phoenix Rising, uh, we have, again, high collaboration. So that's that quadrant. But in this particular case, we see uh, technology being uh, rapidly developed. And in Phoenix Rising, uh, there is some type of... um, The difference between Phoenix Rising and Slow and Steady is really there is some uh, catastrophe. Uh, It could be a pandemic. It could be environmental crisis. It could be financial crisis. But it is a burning platform that's driving the world leaders to force to be collaborating. And in Phoenix Rising, you have that collaborative world with technological advance, which is there to really help uh, deal with that particular situation. As we move down below and look more individualistic, uh, and if it's individualistic and high uh, adoption, we have a, a world called Tech Titans. And in that Tech Titans world, we see large tech companies uh, that are almost ungovernable. Um, they have big influence on the economic and social lives of all the citizens. And no single country is able to really kind of control what they're doing. And the last world that we have uh, is called My Way. And in My Way, it is, again, a more individualistic, uh, but slower adoption of technology. And in My Way, I would describe that as very insular. Uh, Citizens really uh, don't trust big government. They don't trust big organizations in My Way world. And instead, they trust people that um, they know. Uh, It could be their neighbors. It could be community-based. It could be people on the other side of the world, but they're like-minded. And so we see a world, in in my way, of more insular. And so having those plausible futures 
what you want to do is develop some robust strategies that would be applicable no matter what world came out. And you also want to have some triggerable strategies. And a triggerable strategy is, boy, if we see things moving towards tech titans, we would take off this particular strategy off the bookshelf that we developed and implement that. So that foresight and having that ability is more, uh, again, thinking about possible futures, plausible futures with the idea of preparing the mind of the organization and the mind of the employees for what might be. Yeah, and that was going to be my question is, as an organization, if you're looking at a, a planning exercise, do you pick one of those and kind of put your eggs in the basket, we think we're going this way, or do you kind of, these are quite disparate, but let's try and come up with something that could apply regardless of those four? Yeah, great question, Chris. And, and, and so ideally, uh, with foresight, you're looking out uh, 10, 20, in some cases, uh, organizations are looking out 50 years. Uh, there is a, a Japanese company, and I might have the, um, the numbers a little bit wrong, but they had like a 300-year plan. So they're trying to think that if we're going to be around for 300 years, what does that mean today? And so when you go out 10, 20, 50 years on typical foresight projects, it's that combination of what are some strategies that no matter what world evolves will work for us, but also be prepared as we're trending. And so what you want to do is, is not only put those plausible futures out there, but then continue to monitor to see what events, what trends are taking place that might have us believe that we're moving towards one of these. It's never going to be perfect. It's not perfect science by any means, but it's there to give some directional guidance. So a combination of a strategy that works for all worlds, as well as having some other strategies that would be more applicable for one of those uh, four, five, or three worlds, whatever foresight format you use. So it may be self-evident, but from your perspective, why is it important for an organization to engage in this type of thinking and this type of planning? What's the benefit if I'm you know, a small business and I'm kind of right now stuck on th those inbox tasks, as you said, yeah. where's the benefit to me and to my organization for doing this kind of planning exercise, which, you know, isn't, takes some time and some thinking and doesn't maybe necessarily have an immediate payoff. So what is the payoff? Yeah, the payoff becomes, um, you're thinking about possibilities. So it's opening your mind to uh, other aspects. And again, it's very easy to have your head down and be working and trying to get through your day. Uh, but all of those sudden, those days, uh, if you're only your head down managing for today, you can get blindsided by tomorrow. And um, events, competition, technology, some types of dis disruption could cause your business model to go away uh, while you're just managing for today and everything was fine. So it's more just, uh, it's a good preparedness exercise for any organization. And do you have any tips for someone who may be listening on how to make sure they do it, how to make sure they take the time necessary to do this sort of planning? Yeah, so, so organizations that uh, I've been involved with that have done uh, foresight, um, some do it as part of uh, their annual strategic planning process. So again, foresight is not your strategy, but it's there to inform your strategy. So 
I, I know of a few organizations that just have, have actually included it every year as part of their strategic planning process. Um, I tend to think if you do foresight every few years, I think that's a good um, a good exercise to think about the plausible. But it doesn't end there. Like you, what you want to continue to do is think about and read and 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 look at trends that are taking place in the world to to help you get under better understanding of opportunities as well as some potential threats that could be coming your way. Yeah, and it, you know, just based on my own experience, you know, and I've been with with CPA Alberta and predecessors for almost twenty years, and you know, on one hand, things haven't changed in those 20 years in some ways, but in other ways, it's changed immensely um, in ways that you couldn't have predicted. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure 20 years ago I would have predicted unification as an example, right, which was was a huge change. And yet there are some aspects of what the organization does that are the same. So, I, I, you know, over that lens of times, I think you really can see the value of this type of activity when you when you take that kind of perspective. You previously mentioned the five drivers of change. So can you uh, talk a little bit about those and how they play into into foresight and planning? The five drivers of change, it's your classic drivers of change. It's uh, geopolitical, economic, environmental, technological, and societal. And uh, those five drivers really help um, from the standpoint of thinking about just how to categorize some trends that are taking place um, in the environment that could be going out. And so when you're looking at those drivers of change, what they are helpful for is really to help shape and feed in to your foresight work. So the, the Drivers of Change project that I worked on on a national basis, again, led into the foresight project that we're currently working on. And so how do those drivers of change, how can you incorporate them into planning? How, what value do they bring to an organization if you think through those lenses? You know, it, it's your straight uh, situational analysis. So anytime you're doing an environmental scan of um, the, the operating environment that you're working in, the, the drivers of change is, is one of many frameworks, but certainly a very good framework. And so if you think about what's happening geopolitically, how is that going to be impacting my organization? What's happening uh, economically that could have an impact on my organization? What's happening from an environmental standpoint that could impact my organization? Technology, as well as what's happening in society, are all really good ways of just having a few a wide, broad view of what's taking place in the external environment, which I may either need to be able to take advantage of through opportunities or be able to prepare for those threats. Okay. So I think we've got a a really solid kind of understanding of your background and your current role, and I'm wondering if it's uh, time to circle back to our original question, which is... uh, you know, what have you learned? What's a mistake that you've made? What have you learned from it? Or what life lessons can you take from, from mistakes? Absolutely. So I think actually I'm going to reflect a bit on my, uh, my career again. And, and one thing I, I, I didn't mention, I did mention that, you know, in, in 1994, I started working for the profession itself. And uh, there was a brief period, about a five-year period, um, where I actually went out on my own. And um, that was a fantastic time of my life. My kids were all at uh, very young school age. 
uh, I went out and I did what I just referred to as a portfolio career. I um, had many small different jobs. So I would be teaching. I was teaching at McEwen University. I was teaching in some uh, at other schools and MBA programs. I was doing consulting work. I was doing work for um, contract work for one of the accounting bodies. And I had really good life um, work integration. So uh, it, was, it was a great time. Um, then I got a job offer. Uh, and it was really weird to kind of take a job uh, and have to book vacation after a five-year period of kind of just kind of running your, your day as you, you saw fit. Uh, but I did take that job, and uh, it was with the national office, and it was fantastic. And I really was blessed. I just felt that I was paid to learn every day. And um, then eventually I took on a, a new job, uh, another job. And um, I would say mistake is probably too harsh a word to describe, but what I would indicate is that particular job that I ended up taking on uh, after my national role didn't play to my strengths. And back in about 2005, I went through an exercise. It was based on a, a Harvard Business Review article called Play to Your Strengths. And what it did was a very simple exercise of just going out to uh, colleagues, work colleagues, friends, associates, uh, people who work for you, people you work for, and asking them one question. The question was, tell me one of my strengths. And when you got that feedback, it was obviously very positive, but you're also then synthesizing and looking, going, here's some commonalities that I'm seeing across this wide spectrum of things that I'm good at. And then what you want to do is kind of shape your job around those strengths. The analogy that they gave in the article is it'd be like taking a third baseman and uh, saying, okay, well, you're really good at, at knocking down hardline drives and picking them up and making a long throw to first base. Uh, but you're not really fast. So what we're going to do is we're going to make you a center fielder and we want you to work on your speed. That person's natural skills weren't best suited in center field. They're best suited at third base. And so it's a long story. But basically when I moved into this other job, uh, it was a lot more administration. It wasn't playing to the strengths that uh, I had personally identified. And, you know, I was having, uh, uh, there's a lot of um, personal aspects going on in my life, um, including uh, my mom's deteriorating health. Uh, my wife had a, uh, a cancer scare. I had a, one of my children was having some mental well-being issues. So there's a lot going on in the personal life. And the work was not fit. To, to play to my strengths. And um, that was a very challenging part uh, of my life. And, and, uh, but I guess what I got out of that was resiliency and some really good lessons. And so I would say uh, lesson one is play to your strengths. Uh, look for things that you're good at and try to leverage that. Uh, the other thing is uh, talk to friends and colleagues. A few friends that had known me for quite some time, just as soon as we'd go for coffee, they'd go, boy, you're, you're not the same, Todd. I had one friend who said on a happiness scale of 1 to 10, you know, you're around a 3 or a 4. Wow. And he said, uh, in your job, I think the highest you can get is a 6. And so 
that really caused me to reflect. And you got this challenge, right? You're trying to provide for your family. So you're feeling kind of locked in uh, with all these pressures. Yet my, you know, my blood pressure was skyrocketing, my weight gain. And so my health was being definitely impacted by uh, the mental strain uh, from all that. And so what I managed to do was really reflect and go back to uh, play to my strengths. I also had the benefit of an executive coach. We went through a battery of different assessments, leadership style assessment, uh, emotional intelligence assessment, uh, strong inventory, what are strong inventory interests? So what are the key interests that I'm interested in? And I helped find uh, another uh, job and uh, it's been fantastic. And so that job was really shaped around my strengths. So I was fortunate enough to be able to really uh, reflect, use some resources, use some friends um, to think about what the future holds for me and, and how to shape that job. So I think, you know, again, uh, I know I'm not the only one out there that's because uh, I've talked to a lot of colleagues that are going through you know, a bit of a sandwich generation where you got uh, parents you're dealing with, you've got kids you're dealing with, there's uh, extenuating pressures at, at work and, and family. Uh, Todd, how, thanks for sharing that, first of all, how do you think, do you think you would have ended up in the same place without that lesson? Uh, do you think there would have been, you know, you mentioned there were some some factors in your personal life that led to it. Do you think you would have got to where you are now without that having happened in a different way, or do you think that was an impetus for kind of what has come since? It was definitely an impetus for for what has come, and and and, and I would say is that um, I, I don't look at it with any regrets at all. It has uh, helped shape me. Uh, it has um, given me a reservoir of understanding that I have resilience if I can make it through such aspects and, and come out on the other side. I'm fortunate to have a, a fantastic family, a, a wonderful wife to, to help. And so, you know, since then, I've really uh, taken up meditation, I exercise regularly, I have gratitude. And I think all those things were a direct result of having gone through that experience that you really start to appreciate uh, your days and your lives uh, when you've made it through that. So, um, yeah, I... I I don't think I'd be the person today that I am without having gone that through that experience. But I have to say, you know, there's a lot of dark days <laughs> during that time and, and you're going through and you're, you're waking up and, and there's this overarching kind of black cloud where you don't feel you can be happy because if you're going to be happy, you know some another shoe's going to be dropping, you know something's going to be coming at you. And so... You even uh, on good days weren't good days. And again, my friend pointed that out. He said, boy, you know, boy, you're like a three and four at a happiness scale. And I, part of that was self-defense that I didn't want to put myself out to, to figure I was going to be happy because I knew something else uh, was coming down the pipeline. So I think at the end of the day, you know, there's is resources out there for people. Um, this is important. It is uh, a growing phenomenon. Um, uh, people dealing with uh, depression and, and burnout and so forth, uh, and uh, it's good to good to talk about it and, and good to get through it. Uh, like I say, I have a, a great appreciation for life, what I have, and uh, certainly uh, very much enjoying my role with CP Alberta 
really playing to my strengths in, in the the job that I have now. I think that uh, you've kind of gone on to something which is really important and part of the mental health aspect, which is uh, not having regrets. And so in a sense, giving yourself permission to make mistakes, because I think that is a uh, a really key component. If if you're kind of always thinking back to it and and kind of regretting it, you will, probably won't be able to take a lesson and grow from it. Would you Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of this uh, is um, people tend or people can sorry people can uh, live in a world of yesterday and and regrets and live in a world of fear about tomorrow. And when they do that. They're never in the present. They're never dealing with today. And uh, it, it's very easy to live in those two worlds of regretting past mistakes and being anxious about what the future holds because we don't know what that future holds. But if we do continue to live our lives that way, um, we're missing out on uh, all the fantastic things that could happen today. Absolutely. Well, Todd, thanks for your time today. I think this has been a fascinating conversation and a lot of good lessons here. So I thank you very much uh, for joining us. Are there any other final thoughts that you'd like to share with? You know what? I I do uh, appreciate the the opportunity, Chris. I think this is important. Uh, I am, again, uh, very thankful for the uh, career that I've had to date. It's been uh, an awesome journey and all the people that uh, I've met along the way. Um, so it has been great, and um, I think that's that's about it. And again, if if people are having some some struggles, uh, reach out. There's there's people to help. That's right. Thank you for that, Todd. Straight from the CPA's mouth. Here on Straight from the CPA's mouth, we give Alberta CPAs the opportunity to share their knowledge and experience with the world. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and we appreciate all of you for listening in. This episode marks the closing of the first season of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. Since its launch in May of last year, the podcast has had the opportunity to showcase the experiences and stories of over 25 established CPAs and has also been able to share their insights in multiple mini-series. This is not the end, though. Straight from the CPA's Mouth will be back in May with more CPAs, stories, and interesting information. Keep an ear out on May 4th for the launch of Season 2. Make sure you subscribe. You can do so and find more information by visiting cpaalberta.ca slash podcasts. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the Heshi CPA Knowledge Centre. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the Heshi CPA Knowledge Centre and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.